The Seattle hat? Come on. Yeah, I had to wear it, man. I know you're from <laughs> New England. I had to wear it. I had to. <laughs> That's all right. Where do you Where do you live? Oh, uh, right now I live in Korea, but uh, I grew up uh like in the suburb of uh, Seattle. So it's the only team I follow now, other than fighting, because fighting is a a 365 day uh experience. So you know, sports is hard to follow. Yeah, I know. I get mm-hmm. it. Uh, I used to watch a lot more sports, but. Now it's basically just fighting and the Patriots. Hey, it's the same to me, man. I think football is the only thing that I actually enjoy watching anymore. I could sit down and actually watch a game and have fun watching a game. Basketball and baseball and stuff doesn't really doesn't do it for me anymore for some reason. Yeah, it doesn't keep my attention. And then uh, I used to like growing up watching the you know the Celtics, the Bruins, and the Red Sox, but it just got to be too much. My dad still watches all of them. It's just way too much. I don't have the bandwidth for that. Yeah, me either, man. There's too much going on, you know, especially like yourself, you know, you have a family, you have not, you don't even have one kid, you have a few kids, you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's a hectic lifestyle. You have to keep everybody satisfied. I think that's kind of like your job, man, as a, um, a agent slash manager slash coach slash strategist slash father, you know, everything yeah. that you're doing, man, it's just, uh, yeah, that's your job, you know, everywhere you go, right? It's a 24-hour job. Man, how do you handle all of that? How do you handle, you know, keeping yourself sane through all of that? Honestly, I always just think back to, like, you can't have an ego with it. Like, if a fighter says something or asks me to do something that I feel like I shouldn't be doing, it's like, well, that's what he needs done, you know? So I do it, and obviously within reason, you know? But I think you just got to understand that, like, how would you treat a bride on their wedding week, you know? And that's how you got to treat a fighter on their on their fight week, and uh, every fight's the biggest fight of their career. It never ends. You're always climbing that tree, and the, the branches keeps getting thinner. So you just got to like insert yourself into their mind and understand like even if they're being a little bit uh, bougie or being a little bit disrespectful, you, know, you just kind of take it on the chin and, and you move on. Like you can't you gotta have a short memory, you know. And you just gotta dirty laundry falls on the floor. You gotta pick it up, you know. And um, that's all it is. It's just not, I think it comes down to not having an ego and then wanting just whatever's best for the fighter. At the end of the day, the only thing that matters is the fighter not getting hurt and, and then trying to get that win. You mentioned your father, you know, I, I read a tweet about your father's house burning down. It, could you go into that? Is, is, was that a criminal case or what was, what happened no, with that? It was just, I, I think they're saying some faulty wiring with like a space heater or something. And, um, yeah, so it was a couple Saturdays ago. It was the Saturday before I left for uh, for Moscow, and uh, my dad called me at like seven in the morning. So I knew something was up because he doesn't call that early usually. He can't sleep then. He's seventy three, and all he just is like everything's gone. I'm like, what are you talking about, Dad? He goes, Can you do the the face the face picture thing? I'm like, Facetime. So I Facetime him, and he shows me, and it was just like the whole the whole house just in flames, and like everything was gone. So I I grabbed my three year old. I raced over there. And um, there was like six different towns there with fire trucks putting it out and everything. So ultimately, like nobody got hurt, but um, you know nobody got hurt, but they did lose everything. So now it's just the rebuilding process. We're trying to you know relocate them. Uh, him and and uh, my my brother, my baby brother, uh, live together. And and uh, yeah, so it's tough. You know, it's you just it, you could dwell on like what happened and and say how much it sucks, but at the end of the day, like. My dad got out. His hair was all singed and everything because the, the you know the holler is so hot. But he didn't get hurt, and that's really what matters. So, um, fire sucks, but could have been worse. 
Yeah, definitely, man. Well, you know, it's, it's great that your father was able to get out of there and be safe and not be injured too badly. Now, your your company, you know, Top Game Management, who was your first client? I want to go into that. Like, how did you just decide to, okay, so I'm going to get into my, this management side? It was, it was never like a an on-purpose thing. It was just, it was very uh, organic. So I got myself my first fight. Um, so I guess I could say I was my own first client. Um, and then, the you know, I started training in the gym I was at. One of my teammates, I was staying pretty active. And one of my teammates was an amateur at the time as well. And he's like, hey, do you think you could get me a fight? I was like, I guess, you know. So I got him a fight. His name was Louis Carapi. And he had a pretty decent pro career. He's like still sort of active. Uh, he got married, started traveling the world, started having fun. And uh, so he, um, let's say he's eight and four. He started out five and oh. Did really well though. Like So I did his last amateur fight. And then on that same card, Rico DeShulo, who ended up fighting on the Contender Series a couple summers ago. And I think he's nine and two now, nine and two overall. So those are the first two guys that I got fights for. And then from there, it was like the guys like Rob Font were there just about to start training MMA. And they're like, hey, can I train with the team? And we're like, yeah, jump in. And then he's like, can I get a fight? So, you know, I started getting that group of guys, their first fights, going through the amateur ranks and all the way through the pros. And then um, as Rob climbed the ranks, like, you know, on the local scene, and he started doing really well. And I was always cornering him and, um, you know, picking all his fights. And then he got to the UFC. Then a lot of the other other teams that we were friendly with and um, – started asking me like you know if they had a good prospect like hey what do you think we should do with this kid and it just kind of happened and then they'd come and cross train next thing you know I'm managing some of those guys and then uh I think it was in 2015 um Ed Cap kept pressuring me to formalize it he's like dude you gotta call it something like, you're doing a lot of this work behind the scenes you're doing big things um you know at least put a name on it you know and so that's when uh we brought Ed on board and he started running all the social media and uh setting up the interviews and and doing all that stuff so but yeah, so it's really been since my first fight was 2008, and then I think 2009 I got my first teammate a fight, and then it was just a slow trickle from there, and it just kind of came into what it's what it's at now. Going from not having anybody in the UFC to getting your first guy into the UFC, how did that happen? How what was the process like? Because a lot of managers right now, you know, starting out, they have no connection to the UFC, and they probably will never ever. Get a guy in the UFC is so hard, but how did you get that, your first guy? Uh, I, I was fortunate enough to have a good network. Like uh, my last few my last few fights, my amateur fights and my whole pro career, I was training at City of Tong. And uh, the, head, the head guy there is Mark Delagrati, and he, um, he worked for the UFC. So he had connections there too. And then when Rob started getting better, I'm like, we got to get this guy in. Like, he, I, I don't know what to do. You know, I, I knew what my limitations were. So then I had a conversation with Rob. I was like, you know, we should probably bring in another guy. because I don't want you to not get in the UFC because of me. And then um, Mark had been a coach on the uh, Ultimate Fighter the year that Charles McCarthy was on as a, as a fighter. Chainsaw Charles McCarthy. And so he knew him. And coincidentally enough, Charles was uh, a manager at the time down in Florida. And one of his pupils was Charles Rosa, whose cousins with Louis Crappy, who's the first guy I managed. So there was the connection between Mark and then one of my fighters. And um, so I got on the phone with, with Charles and I said, like, hey man, like I got the stud, like I don't know what to do with him. I don't know how to get him in the UFC, but I know he's ready. So then we, uh, we actually co-managed Rob for like about a year and a half. So we signed him to Guardian Sports Group, which was uh, Charles McCarthy's management company at the time. And uh, Charles was like gracious enough to take me under his wing. He was like a mentor to me for that year and a half. 
I just asked him all the dumb questions that you could ask someone about like, who do I call for this? Who do I call for that? And, um, you know, I learned the ropes and he taught it to me. Cause at that time he had like a lot of like, studs under his roster. He had like Walt Harris, Tisha Torres, uh, Amanda Nunez, uh, Charles Rosa. So he had like eight or nine fighters in the UFC at the time that if you look at how good they're doing now, it'd be crazy. So, um, he taught me the ropes. I got my feet wet, and then he went a separate direction with some other stuff. Got out of MMA for a little while. I think he's back in now, so it's really nice to see him back in corner and Charles Rosa. And um, then I, I started handling Rob myself, and then we started getting more guys in. And that's that's really how it happened. So it's it was a blessing to have like the connection like I had with Mark at first, and then um, that he also knew Charles and trusted him from his side. I knew Charles through through Lewis, and then you know so it it all just like, kind of made sense. And I think everything happens for a reason. So. Um, that's kind of how I got the connections. And then just from there, it was just getting cycles and then uh, developing the guys, getting them, you know, more wins and trying to get them uh, noticed. It's uh, you've been in the game for a while and it's been a slow grind. But now it seems like this year has been your biggest year. Do you think uh, 2019 has been the biggest year for top game? It's crazy because I guess you could say if like top game management had a face, it would probably be Rob Font because he's like my first guy that I got in the UFC. I've been with him since his first day on the mats up in Boston. Um, cornered him for all his fights. Like I consider him like a brother. Uh, you know, I'm still one of his coaches. Um, but he hasn't even fought this year, so it's crazy to think of all the success that we've had with some of these younger guys that um, we've had without Rob actually ever fighting. Like finally, you know, he's going to fight in a few weeks. But um, so I think it's like from a, a, a number standpoint. And then on top of that, a lot of my guys weren't as busy. Some of them had injuries and they kind of had to take a long way off. So I think we had a, a couple less fights this year than we did last year, but we have good momentum, you know, like Jorgen, you know, I think we had five guys on the contender series, three of them got contracts. So 10% of the contracts that were given out this summer came to my guys. You know, when you only got 30 fighters that you're managing total and you get 10% of the contender series contracts, like to me, that's a, that's a win. You know, you get 5% of the roster, but 10% of the contracts. I'm happy with that. And um, I really think the contender series has a lot to play with, you know, factor into that because I'm not a guy that's going on Instagram and trying to poach other guys who are in the UFC. Like, I don't really do I'm – not, I'm not that guy. Like, a lot of other managers reach out to my guys on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram and say, hey, man, you know, I don't know if you go to manager. They know they have manager, but they say, like, well, I don't know if you have manager, but if you're not – if you don't or you're not happy, I'd love the chat. I think we can do a lot for you. I don't I do not do that. Like, um, So I'm not trying to poach anybody. So a lot of my, my focus is building up young talent. Like I'll, I'll work with amateurs and then two or three amateur fights, then get them through their whole pro career with the hopes that you know we can get them to the UFC. Now, obviously, I'm only working with amateurs that I think have a future, but um, the contender series lays right, in, you know, right into that philosophy where I'm building young talent that I believe in and the contender series opens the door a little bit earlier than it used to for those guys. So now it's like a meritocracy. Like you get on the contender series, you have a good performance and you impress Dana, you get that title shot. So it's, it's not necessarily about like, Oh, well he comes from this camp or he's with that manager. So he's going to pull some strings or anything like that. It's, it's like, it's a meritocracy. You know, you get the five, six and oh, there's a good chance you get on the contender series. Be one of that 100 fighters that get on. And then you, you have an audition, you have a, you know, really cool job interview. You get to go out there and freaking let it rip. And um, fortunately, you know, last summer we went, you know, three and two and three guys got contracts. And then even the two guys that lost, I feel like they could have won, you know. So um, I think every summer that's uh, – I think moving forward we should have, you know, 
I should we should have like that many guys on there every summer because we got like a lot a lot of talent up here in New England that uh, has just been undervalued I think on the national stage the last you know 15 20 years that is finally starting to get the credit it's due so some of these guys like Rob and Calvin and you know obviously Joe Logan and OG and then Randy Costa and Jorgen all those guys and you know Mike Rodriguez and all the guys you know Kyle Bachner all those guys having success in the UFC and like putting on exciting fights is making the you know I think that's making the really UFC realized that, okay, that's a deep pool over there, and those guys come to fight. Even when they lose, they fight. So hopefully it just gets easier to get more guys in. That's the, that's the plan anyway. Yeah, um, yeah, the Contender Series has been incredible for everybody that uh, watches it to figure out, hey, who are the guys on the regional scene? Who are the guys that are coming up, you know, and, and have them fight each other and, and, and get that contract? And it gives you an introduction to those guys before they even step into the octagon it's fun man it's it's a fun time especially with that contender series and now they're going to add another contender series in asia and uh i heard that they're going to do like cross contender series fights so i think that would be exciting too there you go yeah i saw that they're doing the uh the contender series asia so i know they did a brazil season once mm-hmm. um i mean they can just anything they can do to give these young fighters more opportunity i'm all about you know let these guys get in there and you know, they pay five and five, so that's more than they're going to get locally. So it's a good, it's a job interview where you're getting paid for it and it's a cool experience. And, um, you know, I think it also, and it kind of weeds out some of the people that maybe wouldn't have made it and it kind of weeds them out a little bit earlier. So I'm all for it. I like it. I think it's a cool process. I watch every Tuesday night and it ends up making for an exciting summer. Going back to uh, what you were saying about managers sliding into the DMs and reaching out to fighters and, and that's kind of like the dirty side of the, you know, the management, you know, part of MMA. And I think in any sport, right, every sport has it. Every sport has agents, managers kind of scoping out the talent and seeing who they could, who they can get on their side, right? Who they can get on their roster. Um, do you run into that a lot? Do you, do your fighters like reach out to you and say like, hey man, like this guy, he's like bothering me basically. Like he's, he's really aggressive. It's- there's like one manager company that pretty much they just email anybody that has an O next to their name. Like if you have like a five and then an O, they're going to email you on the regional scene and just be like, Hey, we'd love to manage you. Or, and then they pretty much email any, any company that's any, any fighter that's in the UFC They're They're sending messages every so often just to check in and see if they have anybody. But I mean, that's kind of their job, you know, like they have to, they have to grow, they have to recruit more guys. Uh, but um, at the end of the day, like if my guys, if they leave me for something like that, if they leave me for a DM, and our relationship wasn't as tight as I thought it was anyway. So, I mean, it's 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 gonna happen. It's unavoidable. Every industry has its, uh, like you said, those dark those dark sides to it. Um, I think it's just one of those things where, on myself, rather than trying to steal, I, I call them my colleagues because we are not really trying to have the same goal. Like, we're trying to get these fighters paid as much as they can and accomplish their goals. Like that should be every manager's manager's goal so like there's a quite a you know a handful of managers that i network pretty good with like where we get on calls and we try to share information and we try to you know piggyback off each other and see what the market's doing and you know get feedback on how you know the industry's going at that moment and you know um kind of bounce ideas off each other to help better service our clients and like i have no problem like i'm an open book like i'll share exactly what strategy i use with those guys to try to get my guy more money or try to get him a fight quicker than maybe the ufc wanted or whatever. Um, 
because a rising tide raises all ships. You know, if they get their guys more money, ultimately it's going to get my guys more money. So like, I'm not trying to like run around and pound my chest acting like I'm better than anybody else. Like all I'm trying to do is make sure my guys are happy and get them what I think they deserve. And if I can do, do help other guys do that for their guys, like, yeah, like some people will say like, Oh, you're making your competition look better. It's like, no, I want my competition to do better because it's going to make a better workforce, a better workplace environment for my fighters. So, um, at the end of the day, like, I just want my fighters to be able to buy new houses, have kids, have a family, drive nice cars, accomplish their goals, not get hurt, and then hopefully down the road, like, retire with some money in the bank and and, and phase into something different that they can, uh, you know, keep living that same lifestyle that they're accustomed to as a fighter. When you sit back, you know, it seems like you have, you know, you're pretty chill, you know, you do your thing, you know, you don't really bother anybody, you work with well, well with other, you know, managers and fighters and whoever else you need to work with. When you sit back and watch like this manager on manager, agent on agent beef, like what is it going through your mind? I mean, part of me, it's like, I, I don't, I feel like it's a little bit like trying to judge someone else's marriage. Like, you know, you, you could see what you see on the outside, but you don't really know what's going on. So like, I have no idea like what's going on between those guys and um, it, and it's honestly really not my business. Like I, it doesn't phase me, but you know, it'd be cool if I could get verified too. <laughs> but uh, um, no, man, at the end of the day, like if those guys do that and they get more, more press on them and they say something good in an interview that says it helps their fighters. Like, then I guess they, they did something good. But at the end of the day, like I think our job is to, you know, put the fighter first and, and let people talk about the fighters. You know, like I always say this is like, you know, more on the coach side is when the, when the fighters win, give them the credit. When the fighters lose, like take the blame, you know, and cause at the end of the day, like losing sucks, man. And, you know, you don't want to be that because you see it a lot with coaches. And I think, even, you know, maybe some managers is, you know, when things are going great, they're raising their hand. They want to be in that camera and they want to be on the spotlight. But when things go bad, they start pointing fingers and, well, it's not my fault. He didn't listen and, and stuff like that. So I think uh, I try to do the opposite is, you know, I want to try to absorb some of the criticism, take that off my fighter so I don't have to worry about that. And then uh, when that light's shining real bright, put them in the front and make sure that they're, uh, they're right in the middle. So, I mean, if they want to, I mean, both those companies are doing pretty well. So, <laughs> but, you know, that's, that's one, one strategy. Yeah, it's like, I hope I'm never getting slapped by another manager or slapping another manager, but you know, it is what it is with, you know, the, the media and social media, does it really matter what the fans want? Do you think, do you think these like fan campaigns for fights and like fighters tagging other fighters and Dana White and Sean Shelby on social media, does it really help? I mean, I know sometimes they'll say it's like, do the matchmakers job for them. Two guys agree to fight on a specific date. You know, you see that happen sometimes, but how many times you see two guys call each other out, agree to fight on Twitter, and then the fight never happens. So I think, and then you get like a bunch of, you know, a bunch of retweets and likes off of that. I don't know how much that influences. I think sometimes maybe it influences and sometimes maybe it doesn't. So like, it's hard to like, I guess my job on that part would be, well, how do I take what my thought is on that and push it down to my fighters to help them be more successful is... I always say that, you know, if you feel like you want to call someone out, go call someone out. If you feel like you don't want to call someone out, don't call someone out. But don't do it because you think that's what you're supposed to do. Like, biggest thing is you just got to be organic in your social media. Like, um, 
if you're faking or putting on an act or you're doing something because you think that's the way it's supposed to be, it, it never comes off as it never comes off as organic. And it looks fake and it's almost like it ends up being worse than not doing it. So my advice always is just do what you feel comfortable doing and um, don't try to be someone you're not. Exactly. And that'll work for very few people. You know, Chelsea Simon was good with that. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Kobe's having success with that right now. But Connor, like, he had great success kind of laying the groundwork for well, actually Chelsea before him. But you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. kind of talk trash, call people out, do whatever you need to do, um, play, you know, kind of play the heel, play a role. If that's what you are, that's what you are. But don't do it because you think that's what you're supposed to do. Um, but if you want to, because the guy you really want to fight, you know, if you're like yelling at him on Twitter, go ahead. You know, some of my fighters aren't really trash talkers, but every now and then they'll be like, I really want to fight this guy and they'll say something and, and that's fine. But as long as it doesn't come off as super fake. Now let's go back to the last event you guys were at. You know, the team was at in Moscow, in Moscow, you know, for uh, Calvin Cater. Now talk about that fight. You know, what did you see from the corner and, you know, rewatching it and, and your assessment of what happened? I think one thing that, they surprised us with is he has, he has a tendency to like move backwards a lot in other fights and, and, you know, kind of do a lot more wrestling. Um, and we really thought he'd be moving a lot more backwards, right? You know, kudos to him. He came out and he pressured us. And, um, I think that threw off Calvin for a little bit in the first round. And then part of the second was he was trying to pick his shots a little bit too much where, you know, he wasn't getting hurt. You know, you see his fights after the fight, he didn't really have any, you know, like a little mark right here. Um, he was blocking a lot of the shots. Calvin has good defense with, you know, he's got high guard and everything. So he wasn't getting hurt, but he just wasn't busy. He was moving backwards and Zabit was staying in his face, throwing shots, even though Calvin was blocking him. So he just kind of like the round slipped away in the first. And then, you know, we, we wanted more forward pressure or just hold your ground type stuff. And I think in the third round, he started to do it. It was like toward the end of the second round. And then the third round, he, he really took, uh, took over going forward. So um, I think it was a good learning experience for Calvin is – he realizes uh, you just got to go right away. You can't wait, look for that perfect shot. And if you are covering up and not getting hurt, but you're not throwing shots, you're probably still losing. Um, so I think it's one of those fights, you know, they always say you win or you learn. Um, you know, we didn't win. We definitely did learn. But I think it, it's put like even more of a fire in, uh, you know, in Calvin's eyes in terms of, knowing where he's at and knowing what he can do. Cause I think everybody looks at Zabit as the boogeyman, like no one, not a lot of people lining up to fight him. A lot of people think he's dangerous. And a lot of people thought, you know, he's the next champion. He's the next guy that's going to be, you know, uh, you know, the champ once everything gets worked out with Max and Alex or, or Volkanovsky or whatever his name is. And, um, you know, we went head to head with him and like took his best of the first two rounds, if you can call it that. And um, and then took it to him in the third. And, and I know a lot of people are arguing with that. Well, if there's a fourth in the fifth round. But the reality is it was a three-round contract. He fought a certain way because he knew it was three rounds. So who knows what would have happened in five rounds. Um, you know, I have a feeling down the road, I wouldn't be surprised if down the road they end up doing a five-round fight. But a lot of things have to line up for that. But, you know, I think the one thing I can really take away from it is that Calvin Stock didn't go down in that fight. I think some there's a few people that are like, oh, Zabit's not what we thought he was. But then there's a majority that are thinking like, wow, Calvin's more than we thought he was. And uh, we have always believed in Calvin, and we knew that he's you know he's a contender. But you know he went toe to toe with the, the guy that no one wants to fight, and really just got outpointed for you know a round and two thirds, call it, and then dominated the other round and a third. So he just got outpointed, which is you know that's part of it. You have to win the whole fight. Um, 
But you see what Zabit's done with some of these other like world class fighters, like you know, takes them down, mauls them, takes them, takes their back, beats them up a little bit, annoys them, frustrates them, like clearly wins rounds. Um, it didn't happen here, you know. So I think Calvin also got to answer a little bit of questions about his wrestling defense. People say, oh, he doesn't have wrestling. Like, Calvin's a great wrestler. Uh, I think he showed that in the fight. He uh, beat shot once. He defended it real easy. And then he threw that that trip he does. It was a pretty cool trip. Uh, mm-hmm. But he popped right back up, fought the hands and got away. So, um, you know, a lot of other people haven't, haven't been able to do that with the, with the beat. And I think that'll be interesting to see if they can, uh, they can kind of do that moving forward. But uh, I'm bummed we lost, but leaving it, you know, I wish we would have pressured it a little bit more early, but if we ever got that fight again, it's a fight that we'd be excited about. Not like, Oh crap, how do we win? So if that makes any sense. Yeah, man. Um, I think that it will happen in the next year or so. I believe so, man. It it just kind of leaves a lot of questions, that fight. You know, like, what would happen? You know, a lot of the fans, you know, they have a lot of questions about like, oh, yeah, you know, if there was another round or two or whatever, or, you know, if, if he went in there and did it this way or, you know, the strategies were different, what would happen? You know what I mean? And, and Calvin, he goes in there with that. I think he has a little bit more excitement to his name compared to Zabit. If, if I'm being honest, you know, I mean, Zabit, he's, if you really look at it, he is a point fighter. He'll go out there and I'll point you. He can finish you, but it's not like Calvin. Calvin will go in there and destroy your face, right? That's like the, the, the moniker or that, that image he has. So I think that it's going to happen again, but moving forward, you know, who do you think Calvin could fight next? Like, what are some of the options you see? I think this sets up for, well, there's a lot of moving parts, like, Obviously, the December 21st card, that's going to be a uh, a big indicator. I think if the Korean Zombie wins, I think he's right there where he's probably get, deserves the next title shot. He's got a, been around, real good win over Mykano. If he walks through Ortega, who just fought for the title, it's hard to deny him a title shot, in my opinion, like the fan in me. But then also, you know, looking at it from like a strategic standpoint, like it makes sense. He's with South Korea, he's carrying a country. You can go out there and fight, you know, whoever wins that that fight the uh, the week prior. Um, if Ortega wins, I don't necessarily think he gets a title shot because of, you know, he's just coming off a bad loss to to Max. So if he wins, I think then maybe he goes and fights someone like a Yair, and then maybe Zabit gets the title shot, and then maybe we slide in and we fight the Korean Zombie. You know, so I think, you know, and a lot of other people are saying like Stevens and Emmett are out there, but. I think we just fought the number five guy. Now he's number four. We went toe to toe with him. We showed that we belong at that top five level. So it'd be nice to get another like top five type fight. Um, I was a little surprised that we didn't bump up a little bit in the rankings. I thought we'd leapfrog a couple guys just based on how, how well we did. Um, but I mean, at the end of the day, the rankings don't necessarily matter. It's, we just need to fight another top guy. So yeah, I mean, I could see us getting the loser of, uh, Ortega and, and the Korean Zombie, if they both, you know, depending on if they're healthy or not. And then obviously, yeah, years out there. Um, you know, and then it'll be interesting to see what Edgar and Aldo do down at 35 if they decide to come back up or how that works out. So a lot of moving parts, but I think the next few weeks are going to shuffle some things, uh, shake some things up and kind of we'll see how everything falls into place. But Calvin's healthy, he's ready to go. Um, you know, he just wants another big fight. He wants a chance to redeem himself. He's hungry. So uh, I'm excited to see how he does. Uh, you know, last time he lost, he came out with two first-round knockouts in a row. So uh, <laughs> yeah. 
you know, light the fire under him. So I'm excited to see yeah. him uh, come back. And, and I, I really don't think that there's anybody above us that matches. That's a bad matchup. Kevin's, you know, he hits hard. He's got precise boxing. He showed the big knock on one of the knock on him before this was that he can't check leg kicks and he uh, doesn't have a ground game. You know, things we were hearing. And it's, I think he was eight for eight on throwing leg kicks. And then he checked every leg kick that came to him. And, um, and he defended the takedown. Um, so I don't think there's really anybody above us that can like really pro pose like a unwinnable situation. Like Calvin can beat all the guys that are above us right now. So um, I'm just excited about to see him fight to his full potential and um, keep climbing the ladder. December is a, a massive month for the featherweight division. You know, you got the title fight with uh, Holloway and Volkanovski. Then you got the zombie that you mentioned against Ortega. If you're a 145er in the top 15 and you don't have a fight scheduled, do you feel like you need to be ready? You need to be on call? Because you never know what can happen. I mean, if we would have beat Zabit, I would have been pushing the UFC to say, hey, listen, bring us to Vegas in two weeks or a few weeks and let us be the alternate. Because that would have been great. You know, weigh in and uh, just be ready in case anybody falls out. But Or even, even South Korea. But obviously it didn't pan out. But I, I think... Yeah, I think those guys got to sit around and be ready. Calvin, you know, he's already asking, "Hey, who's on this? Who's on this card in DC?" Because he's going down with uh, with Rob to corner him. And I'm like, "Slow down, you yeah. <laughs> um, But yeah, you know, you get the guys like like Shane Burgos out there. What is he seven one in the UFC now? Yeah. So he lost it to Calvin. Like he sits around healthy he, and he can make weight. Like you know, opportunities like that come up for guys like like Shane and and Calvin. You just got to be ready. Um, I think the smart ones should stay ready. But I think uh, around the holidays, Thanksgiving, it's easier said than done, right? Yeah. Next couple of weeks, you got a few guys, you know, coming up. You got uh, Rob Font. He's number 10 in the division. He's taking on Ricky Simone. Man, he's been off for like a year. You know, what is, you know, what, what is the, the atmosphere around Rob right now? Frustrated, hungry, ready to kill someone. Uh, he's been a healthy scratch all year. He's been no injuries. He's been pushing for a fight. Um, we didn't get a turnaround as fast as we wanted after the Sergio Pettis fight, but that's the sport. You can't always just fight whenever you want, unless you're Cowboy Cerrone. He's earned that right. Um, so we were pushing for a fight, and it didn't happen until June, and we were going to fight Cody Stamen, a fight that we wanted. And uh, two weeks out, Cody pulled out, and, and we asked for Lineker. Like, that was a loss on our record. We want that back. And uh, Lineker took the fight, and then 10.30 at night, the day before weigh-ins, um, you know, 10.30 night, day four wins, UFC called and said the fight's off. And, um, you know, we were gutted. And, uh, you know, so we didn't even weigh in the next day. They are just like, we're going to get you a quick turnaround. And then it's like we had these opportunities. We said yes to everything. It just, they, for one reason or another, it was like a series of unfortunate events. Like no negligence on anybody's part. It's just like everything that was lined up just never came to happen. And we were always ready. Like, so pretty much the whole summer, Rob was dieting in fight camp, ready to go. And then when the quick turnaround didn't happen, it was like, you're definitely on the Boston card. And then it's just, it just never materialized. It was even up until two weeks out, we were dieting. And then it was, okay, we're going to focus on December 7th. But then even then it was like a few weeks that we didn't even have a name. Um, it's just hard because, you know, he's coming off a long layoff, looked good in his last fight. And it's, when you're ranked, it's hard to find fights that make sense that like, the UFC was like, yeah, that makes sense. 
for both sides. You know, they don't want us to murder anybody, obviously. And, and obviously we want to climb the ladder. So it's like, you know, just sitting around waiting for the right opportunity. And, you know, Rob's been a company man. He said yes to everything. And just for whatever reason, they haven't materialized. And finally, it came down to December 7th. This is who's available. Ricky Simone called him out last February, I think, after uh, maybe it was the Montel Jackson win. And, you know, he wasn't, I think he was going to enter the rankings right after that fight. And um, that's a fight that we've always felt comfortable with. Uh, I think it's a good stylistic matchup for Rob. And, uh, you know, all he's done the last year is get better at wrestling and, and own his striking. So, you know, going against a guy like Ricky Simone, it's a perfect comeback fight for Rob, even though he never left. He's just been training and dieting for a year. So he's, uh, it's exciting to see the, see him get back in there. It's going to be 51 weeks. We fought December 15th last year against Sergio Pettis in Milwaukee. So I'm excited to see him get back in there and um, just get momentum back, you know. Good win in Sergio Pettis' hometown, big name, on Fox. You know, the Fox crew followed around for a couple of days. It was like we had good momentum leaving that fight, and then just we had to build it back up again. Another guy on your roster, Mike Rodriguez, he also had a series of unfortunate events, you know, in his last fight where he had, like, the late replacement, and then he went in there and fought the guy. The guy was on some stuff you know what i mean i don't really remember exactly what it was on he's been suspended for one year by usada talk about mike and and you know the you know the mental side of like going through a whole fight and then afterwards it gets overturned and it's basically he didn't even fight you know what i mean like it's just gone that fight i mean he left that fight kind of banged up so uh i think his focus has just been on recovery um so for him, it's like the fight definitely happened because he's licking his wounds and, uh, you know, he's getting healthy. He's been going through, you know, a bunch of PT and then finally get him back in where he can train, you know, full time again. And, uh, you know, he's he's healthy going into this fight. And it's tough, man, because you hear that and you're like, damn it, I lost, but they cheated. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you don't know, really know what happened. You know, like maybe they took the wrong cough syrup. I don't know. But um, at the end of the day, like we went in and we did everything we were supposed to do as a professional. We made weight, we passed our drug tests. We showed up to fight. We didn't quit. Um, and then find out a few weeks later that, hey, the, the other guy didn't hold up his end of the bargain. It's it's a tough pill to swallow. I mean, the cool thing, you know, wipes an L off your record, but at the end of the day, it doesn't get you that second paycheck and it doesn't climb you up the ladder. So um, it stinks, you know, but at the end of the day, like just like on the management side, like cheating and foul play is just part of any, any fact of life. So um, it's just something we have to deal with. And, and I think Mike's been, you know, too professional about it. Like he, he doesn't even bring it up. He's not like, he's like, Oh, that guy cheated. That screwed up. Like he's just like, all right, like, let me get healthy. And like, let, you know, let's get back in there. And, um, you know, I think this is a good, uh, good fight coming off of, you know, it was a July. So, you know, not a ton of, you know, not a huge layoff, but, um, you know, a couple of minor dings that he had to heal up and now come back and, you know, things having to fly halfway around the world to, to go get a fight. But, you know, it'll be a good experience for him, and he's going to go out there a little bit early. His weight's already good, and, uh, you know, get to see a different part of the world and a new culture, and uh, really get a good fight this time. You know, he felt like he just couldn't pop off last time. He, he said his, he felt like he was having trouble managing distance in the fight, like, you know. So now it's, you know, time to redeem himself, and he, he's got another chance to go out there. He's got another fresh 15 minutes to go out there and, uh, you know, wipe the taste of that last one out of his mouth. Yeah, definitely. Well, what I meant earlier about it was like on paper, 
it like never happened oh, yeah. basically you know of course yeah, he went yeah, in yeah. there i watched that fire you know um yeah. i've interviewed mike a few times he he's so fun to talk with man he has a great personality you know and he goes in there and he and he puts in work so i'm excited to see what he can do coming off this and uh all healed up and uh but you know traveling across the world is not so so fun but hey you know you gotta do it for the ufc i guess yeah you, you don't want to say no too many times <laughs> they get pissed but uh you know i think it's a good fight too like he, uh, jung is a, is a game opponent he uh he likes to use his hands he's good in the clinch um obviously if you watch his last fight he took like he weathered that early storm and then came back with a cool choke in the third um I think it makes for an exciting fight. Like Mike's not a boring fighter. You know, he had that Kevin Giles fight uh, where he, you know, he just got wrestle humped out in New York for a little bit, but then he, you know, he gassed out and then he came back his next fight and lacerated a kid's liver. And then uh, his last fight, you know, fought that kid, but it was still a decent fight. And, um, you know, I'm excited for him to come back, full camp, ready to go. Nothing to lose. You're in their hometown. Like it's almost less nerves than fighting at home. So, it's uh, I'm excited, man. I I think, I don't think Mike scratched the uh, he's just scratching the surface on his potential. Like, he can be so good when he puts it all together. You see those flashes of greatness, but it's starting to become like more often. So, and he's a funny dude. He's uh, yeah, the Mick Pro tips he does. On yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and he's got the here's a fun fact. He's got the biggest feet in the UFC. Him what? Yeah, him and Bigfoot Silva, I guess, both have size 16. God dang. Uh, like walking up hey, uh, That's crazy. Um, one last thing before, you know, I let you go is, uh, do you think uh, the Patriots and the Seahawks will meet in the Super Bowl this year? <laughs> I don't know. I, it's just such a weird year for the Patriots. Like, I feel like we just we got good coaching we get a good quarterback and we kind of figure out how to win you know we started off hot but all i care about from seattle is the next two weeks i need i need Lockett to have lights out games for me i'm in dead last in my fantasy football league oh, okay. and i need Lockett to step up and uh you know if i win the next two weeks and things line up i could end up in third place so um i mean it'd be cool you guys need some redemption right we got that yeah. uh we took it from you last time yeah. what, what do you think oh uh, man i wish I wish. I just. I just love. Uh, I just want to see uh, Wilson take on Brady before Brady hangs him up. You know, because you know he's only got a couple years left. So if it's not yeah. this year, why not? You know, when when will it happen? So, you know, I love the Patriots, man. I'm I'm a big fan of the Patriots, even though they're not my team. But I would love my team to you know take them on in the Super Bowl again. That'd be nice. Yeah, I appreciate you having me on. Oh man, it was uh, it was great chatting with you, man. There's so many other guys that I wanted to talk about, but then it would be like three hours, so uh, I, I don't want to take too I much of your time. <laughs> no, <we're good. laughs>